0: Hi, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ again. Our common practice on the second Sunday night of every month is to answer questions that have been submitted either by members and sometimes guests at the Franklin Church of Christ. The lesson you're about to hear is one of those, answering the question about the Trinity. The Bible describes Father, Son, and Spirit, and yet often refers to God as one. How do those two statements correspond? Is God three or one? Open your Bible with me as we learn the Bible answer to this question. The second Sunday night of the month, which of course means question and answer night, questions that have been submitted by members or sometimes even guests within the congregation. If you would like to have a question dealt with, you may fill out a form that's on the table as you head out the door back there and drop it in the box right outside my office. And as we have time and opportunity, we'll get to those. Make sure to put your name on it, though. If I'm not able to get to it here publicly, I'd like to at least... Make a response privately or I might have a question about it. As I point out every every time we have this question and answer session, obviously, as with all lessons, I'm not trying to suggest that I know all the answers. I'm not trying to suggest that just because I said it it's right. Obviously I believe I'm right, otherwise I'd say something else. But I could be wrong. And so, as we study God's Word tonight with our question, I want you to open your Bibles and follow along. And if you do think I'm incorrect about something, that I'm not saying what God actually says about the topic, feel free to come talk to me. And really, that applies to every lesson. That applies to everything that we preach. If you think that there's something that's said that's not what the Bible demonstrates, I missed a passage or misapplied a passage, I'd love to talk with you. Please, don't go talk to somebody else about it. Come talk to me about it, and we'll... Study God's Word together tonight. We're going to be dealing with the question: Is God one or three? We talk about the Trinity all the time—Father, Son, and Spirit—and yet throughout the Scripture, the Bible often refers to God as one. And we wonder, how does that work? Now, I'll admit to you right off the bat: I do not know all the answers to all the questions about about the Godhead, or the Godhood. I don't, I don't know all the answers, and I'm probably not going to answer all of your questions tonight. I'm just going to share with you what I can determine from Scripture and then leave it base at there. And when we get done, again, I'm not going to have answered all your possible questions about the Trinity and about the oneness of God. I may say some things that perhaps you haven't heard before or maybe you disagree with all. I'm just going to say, here's what I can find in the Scripture, and I'll leave it at that. One of the things that, that I've Uh, at least come to grips with in my mind, is that when we start dealing with God, I just don't understand God. God is just too awesome and amazing and powerful and just infinite for my finite mind. And so there are just a lot of things that I don't understand. And and God says some things about Himself, and, and sometimes they don't always just fit together right in my mind. And I've just had to come to grips with that and just accept here's what it says, and this is what I'll be able to say about it and leave it there. If there's something that you think that I need to add, just let me know. One of the things I just wanted to start off with as we deal with this, are you aware that there's absolutely no place in the Bible that actually uses the term Trinity? The word Trinity cannot be found in the Bible. I'm not sure of a single translation that actually uses the word Trinity. Because of that, there are a whole lot of people that say that we shouldn't use that term. But what we learn is that the word Trinity comes from the Latin trinitas, which simply means threeness or threefold. And while the Word may not be found in the Bible, I certainly think that the concept is found in the Bible. And what I want us to look at tonight is when we go to the Scripture, do we find threeness when it comes to God and the Godhead? As we consider this question, the very first thing I want us to think about is Godhead. Because we often talk about them. When we talk about Father, Son, and Spirit, we often refer to that grouping as the Godhead. We find that word Godhead used in the King James Bible three times. Acts chapter 17 and verse 29 is the first one. In Acts 17 and verse 29, I'm reading for the New American Standard. The New American Standard says, Being then the children of God, Acts 17, and 9, Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature, the King James there says Godhead, That the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. We can look in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and Godhead, or as the American standard says, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And then finally, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, the Bible says, referring to Jesus Christ, "...for in Him all the fullness of deity," the New American Standard says, if you've got the King James right there, it says, "...for in Him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form," or dwelt in bodily form. And so we find that term found in the Scripture three times. Each time that we find it, it translates the word theos or forms of the word theos that actually have to do with the idea of divinity or deity, the characteristics, the essence, the nature of God, the substance or being of one who is God. I'm not sure exactly how the word Godhead was arrived upon by the translators of the King James Bible I don't know exactly how they formed that term but but for today and for our purposes it might be a little bit better if instead of thinking godhead we thought about the word godhood just like we talk about manhood or childhood or motherhood now in the word's manhood childhood and motherhood we recognize that what those words refer to are the essence the character the nature the substance of one who is a man or a child or a mother we recognize how all that fits in the word godhood or godhead that's essentially what it's talking about. It's, it's talking about one who has the characteristics, the essence, the nature, or the substance of one who is God, or one who is divine. That's what that word means. Now, when we go in the Scripture, we find that that, that essence, that Godhead, that Godhood, applies to, to three in fact, in a couple of passages, we find where all three are mentioned. I'm not going to list all of them here, but Matthew 28 and verse 19 says, "...Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit." We've got 2 Corinthians 13:14, "...the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all." We can also go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, as it talks about the oneness and the unity of the body. It points out that there is one body, but there's one Spirit, just as you were calling in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all through all and in all. So we've got one Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father. And just one last passage we'll look at, and there's, there's several others, but just for us to realize that we have three mentioned here in Scripture and in several passages, they are all three mentioned, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. It says we're elect in First 1 Peter 1-2. We're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. As we look at Scripture, we find these three, the Father, the Son... And the Spirit. And in Scripture, all three are described as God. The word Godhead, or Godhood, or deity, or divinity can apply to all three of these Father, Son, and Spirit. And so, as we we take a look at this concept of God, I just want to lay out kind of an illustration that helps me, in my mind, understand this. We're just going to draw ourselves a little picture here that helps us recognize what the Bible says about it. Again, I really don't think I'm going to answer every question, but at least as you look at this chart that we're going to form here, you can see what the Bible says, and when we're done, we can just say that. And we'll be as right as our finite minds will allow us to be as we consider God. As we we look at the concept of God, we go into the Scripture and we find that there are three who are defined as God. Of course, there's first the Father. If you look in John chapter 6, John chapter 6, and verse twenty-seven, the concept of God, deity, divinity, godhead, godhood, whatever term you want to use here, John chapter six and verse twenty-seven demonstrates that that term is used to describe God, the Father. Do not work for the food which perishes. This is John six twenty-seven, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him the Father God has set His seal. And so, in fact, some translation I think the King James actually says, God the Father, that phrase that we often use here in this verse. And so here in John six twenty-seven, we recognize that there is the Father. And the Father is God. That is, He is deity. He is divinity. Of course, this is just almost a no-brainer. We recognize this. Just about everybody recognizes this so much so that typically when we use the word God, the Father is who we're referring to. And that can cause us a lot of problems because that's not what the Bible always means when it says God. And in fact, that's not what the Bible always means when it says Jehovah or El or Elohim. It's not always referring to the Father, but typically, when we use the word God, we mean the Father. We recognize that the Father is divine. But it's not just the Father, we also have the Son. And you look in John chapter 1, John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, and we find that the Bible demonstrates that the Son is also divine. The Son is divine deity. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now what a very interesting statement. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And of course, who is the Word? Well, verse 14, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. What's begotten mean? Well, that means child, doesn't it? This is the Son. The only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Here in John chapter 1 and verse 1, we find that Jesus, the Son, the begotten, who is the Word, is God. He is divine. Very interestingly, I had a friend, went into a high school class, and was just trying to find out what the high school class knew, and just asked the question, is Jesus God? And the overwhelming response was, no. Well, it's a surprising response, but the reason for it is because this kind of thing is not often explained. What they thought, where they were asking, is Jesus the Father? Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. He's not. But we do need to understand, Jesus is God. Godhead, Godhood, deity, divinity applies to Jesus. In fact, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, this is the passage we were looking at earlier that uses the word Godhead, that phrase there, theos. For in Him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of deity or Godhead, Godhood, divinity, dwelt in bodily form. So here was Jesus in bodily form. He was God and He was man. And I don't understand that. Just like I said earlier, there are a lot of things about God that I, He's just infinite. And I can't understand God all by Himself. And I just must admit that I don't understand deity and humanity coming together and how that worked. But I do know the Bible says it did. That Jesus was both God and man at the same time. It does not say He was half God and half man. And I want to encourage you, I know we often say it this way, I'd like to encourage you if you've ever said this to, to stop saying this, because it's not what the Bible says. How often do we hear ourselves, Oh, we see the human side of, God, of Jesus coming out here. There was no human side and there was no divine side. Jesus was just God and man all at the same time. That's just what He was. He was every bit God and He was every bit man. And I don't know how it worked, but I know that it did. Because that's what the Bible says. that deity became flesh. And I'll be honest with you, I question anyone who would start claiming that they understood exactly how it worked and start explaining to us all the ins and outs of that deity and humanity. All I know that the Bible says is that Jesus became flesh, He was man, and He was God all at the same time. We look again at John chapter 1. We go back to verse 1 again and let's read a little bit, a few of these verses here. And it tells us a little bit about Jesus who was God and who became man. It says, In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. So here is Jesus, the Word of God, the Word who is God, who is divine. Not only did He come in the world but He existed as the world began. In fact, He was the Creator. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the, the Word, the Son, Jesus, was there. He was God then, He's God today, He was God in the flesh, He was divine. And He's always been there. John 17, 5 also demonstrates His pre-existence of the world. In John chapter 17 and verse 5, in John 17 and verse 5, Jesus prayed, Now Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you, Before the world was. A lot of the folks today that believe in the Unitarian position that says that they're just Father, Son, and Spirit are all the same person. Got a real problem with this verse because this points out what, what you'll hear from some is that, well, in the Old Testament, He was the Father. In the Incarnation, He's the Son. And then after the Ascension, He's the Spirit, but it's all the same person. But I want you to notice here, that this text very clearly says that the Son was with the Father before the world began. Not that the Son was the Father, but the Son was with the Father before the world began and had a glory that was the same glory as the Father's. Why? Because they're both divine. They're both God. They're both deity, divinity, Godhead, Godhood applies to both of them. And then, John chapter 8, and verse 58 Jesus demonstrates His deity, His eternal nature, self-existence. In John chapter 8, verse 58, when He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, that's odd. If I was going to try to say that, uh, you know, before Tessa was, I am, you all think I needed a, a grammar lesson, wouldn't you? Because we all know, am, as present tense, it should be I was, because we're talking about the past. Why did Jesus make such an obvious grammatical error? Because he wasn't trying to speak grammatically. He was making a reference back to Exodus 3.14, where Jehovah, speaking to Moses, said, I am. That was his name. I am. And so when Jesus here in John chapter 8 and verse 58 says, Truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was born, I am... He was pointing out that that statement made in Exodus 3.14 applies to Him as much as it applies to the Father. Self-existence. Why? Because He's God. He's deity. Divinity. Godhead. Godhood. You know, one of the things that might help us here is if we recognize that the word God is not actually the name of God. Just like man is not our name or woman. I know we... That's, that's how we refer to the Father, and that's fine. The Bible does that as well. But we need to recognize that's not the name, that's the descriptive God. But we also find not only the Father and the Son, we also find this third person in the Godhead. We find the Holy Spirit, who is demonstrated to be divine. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. Hebrews 9, verse 14 says, "...how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God." Notice we've got there, once again, all three, Father, Son, and Spirit. But notice, it's the eternal Spirit. Eternal is one of those aspects of deity, divinity. The Spirit is eternal. He's not created Always existed, will always exist, because the spirit is divine. Look in First Corinthians chapter two, verse 10 through 12, in First Corinthians chapter two, verses 10 through 12, it says, "For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God." For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. What you'll find here is, here's the Spirit. But what do we want? Not only is He eternal, He's omniscient. And several of you who were in our vacation Bible school a few weeks ago learned that impressive word, omniscient. Omniscient means all-knowing. The Spirit even knows the mind of God the Father. That is how much He knows. But that's a divine quality. None of us are all-knowing, as much as we might like to think that. None of us is all-knowing. But the Spirit is all-knowing because He is divine. You look at Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 and we find the Holy Spirit figuratively represented there as omnipresence In Revelation chapter 4, And verse 5, actually if you begin in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4, here we have another one of those pictures of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all together at the same time. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, that's the Father, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne. Now, don't get thrown off by the seven spirits. That number there is used figuratively. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And then verse 5, and from Jesus Christ. But there's those seven spirits before the throne. Look in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 5. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 5, Out from the throne comes flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And then Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Here's this picture of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that is there with the Father and the Son, and notice, sent out into all the earth. And the concept of having the seven eyes is not the idea that, well, there's, there's nine now, Father, Son, and seven spirits, but rather the fact that this Spirit, the, the complete nature, that number seven, is referred to the, the whole and complete. You see, he's, He sees all. That's that idea of the seven all, see, seven eyes. Sees all. Why? Because he's, he's everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. This is divinity. The Spirit is deity. But something that to me just puts the cap on it, that just demonstrates beyond doubt that the Holy Spirit is divine, is deity, is God, is Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 15. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 15, we've got a very interesting statement here. The Hebrew writer says, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying... This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. The Hebrew writer attributes this quote to the Holy Spirit. We go back to Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 33. In Jeremiah chapter 31... If I can get back there, Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 33, we find out that this is Jehovah speaking, deity. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I'll write and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they'll all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sins, and I will never know more. And the Hebrew writer says, look, after the Spirit said this, he said this. This is, this is God talking. This is deity. This is divinity. The fact is, when we go back into the Old Testament, it's far more complex than we, re- we commonly recognize because the Hebrew writer says the Holy Spirit said that. That's not just an issue of, well, the Holy Spirit revealed what the Father said because He said, after the Holy Spirit said this, He said this. This is the Spirit talking. And yet He's called Jehovah. Very interesting. What does that mean? That means the Spirit is deity, divinity, God. Now, as we look at the Scripture, we can say this without doubt. Father, Son, and Spirit are all described as God. They're all described as deity. They're all described as divinity. Most folks would agree with that. But a lot of folks would say, well, certainly, because they're all the same person." Or it's three aspects of the same person. There are some folks, and I've even heard brethren say this, and I'm just going to go ahead and put this out there because I hope if this is the way you've viewed it before, you stop saying this because this is not what the Bible presents. There are some folks who will say, oh, it's just like us. I am a father, I am a son, and I am a grandson. All those three things apply to me. But I'm just one person. When we look at the Scripture, we find out that, that the Father, Son, and Spirit are, all, are not just one person. And Father, Son, and Spirit are not three aspects of the same person. They're not three descriptions of the same person. They are three distinct persons about whom the word God, Godhead, Godhood, deity, divinity, all apply. And I want you to notice that what the Scripture demonstrates is that these are separate. In fact, we can go to a passage like Matthew chapter 3, and verse 16, and we find very clearly... During the incarnation of God, of Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16, we find all three of them together. Not just a reference to, not just a reference to them, but we find them all there together as separate persons. In verse 16, after, this is Matthew 3, 16, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. There's Jesus. And behold, the heavens were open and the Spirit of God descending as a dove. And lighting on him, so there's Jesus, and the Spirit of God is descending on him. Two distinct beings, two distinct persons there. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." There is the Father. We have Father, Son, and Spirit all together. Now, let's see if we can't put this into a little bit of a, into our chart here, so we can understand it. We recognize that Father, Son, and Spirit, God refers to all of them, but we also recognize that the Son, while he is God, is not the Father. And you can look in John chapter 8, verse 17 through 18. In John chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, we'll find out that the Son is not the Father. John 8, verse 17 and 18. This is interesting. Jesus refers back to the law of Moses. He says, even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Under the all, two men, the testimony of two men, Jesus said, I'm one of them, the Father is another one. What's that mean? The Father and the Son are not the same. Father and Son are distinct because Jesus said, we we fulfill the requirement of the law of testimony. There have to be two distinct persons, not the same person. Under the old law, I couldn't go say, hey, whoa, 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 I'm a father and a son. My testimony counts as two different persons. Could we say that? Of course not. Nobody would say it. it. had to be two distinct persons. The father and the son. Jesus demonstrates that. Secondly, we find out not that the son is not the father. The father is not the son, though they're both God. We also find out that the father is not the spirit. In John chapter 14 and verse 26. John chapter 14 And verse 26, the scripture there says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. I want you to notice here that the Father is going to send the Spirit. What's that point out? That means the Spirit is separate and distinct from the Father. Jesus is not saying the Father is going to send himself. And there's going to be the Father coming, you just say, look, the Father is going to come. But he's saying the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit. Because the Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Secondly, or Thirdly, we'll also find out that Jesus is not the Spirit. The Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son. There in John chapter 16. In John chapter 16 and verse 7 Jesus said, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I mean, just think about this, if the, the Spirit and the Son are the same, Jesus would say in John sixteen ten, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go. For if I do not go away, then I will not come to you. But if I do go away, I'll send myself to you. Does that make any sense? Absolutely not, because He's pointing out that the Spirit is someone distinct and separate from Him. In fact, if we couple that back with John chapter 14 and verse 16, there in John 14:16, Jesus said, I'll ask the Father and He'll give you another Helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of the truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. And so we recognize, see, that it's another Helper. Jesus was one Helper. The Spirit is another Helper. So you'll see what this chart demonstrates to us. I, and I realize it's not answering every question about God, but what it points out is Father, Son, and Spirit are all God. They're all divine. They're all deity. But they're not the same person. The Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. The Spirit is not the Son. The Father is not the Son. And the Father is not the Spirit. But they're all deity. They're all divine. Three distinct persons who are God, who are divine. That being the case, let's point out three in the Old Testament. One of the interesting things is folks have the idea that, oh, when we it changes. and the Old Testament, just over and over again. it's God is one. One God. God, one, 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 one. And then you get to the New Testament, and this is one of the things, of course, that the Jews will often, folks who want to be Jews today, will point out, oh, it can't be Jesus because you're, that's polytheism. And we know that God is one. Well, let's, let's think about what the Old Testament actually says, because that's really not the full picture presented by the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word there is that's translated there is Elohim. That is the plural form of the word Eloah which of course we don't know the foreign languages, so we might look a little bit further down at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. you remember what God said there in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 as He's talking about creating man? In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, Jehovah says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let us, in our image. Let me take it even further and point out to you that there are actually passages that, dem- just like in the New Testament, there, there are passages that demonstrate three. Look at Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 48. In Isaiah chapter 48, beginning at verse 12. In Isaiah chapter 48, beginning at verse 12, the Scripture there reads, Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Who does that sound like? Well, that's got to be the Father, right? Keep reading. "...surely my hand founded the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand together. Assemble all of you and listen. Who among them has declared these things?" This is Isaiah 48, now verse uh, 14. "...the Lord Jehovah loves him. He'll carry out his good pleasures on Babylon, and his arm will be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Indeed, I have called him, I have brought him, and he'll make his way successful. Come near to me. Listen to this." From the first I have not spoken in secret. From the time it took place, I was there. And now the Lord God has sent me and His Spirit. Wait a minute. I thought it was the Lord God who was talking. And yet, the Lord God who is talking says, the Lord God had sent Him and His Spirit. Now, The grammar is a little bit confusing on this. Is it saying that the Lord God has sent the Lord God and sent His Spirit? Or is it saying that the Lord God and the Lord God's Spirit sent the Lord God? I'm not really sure. But what I do see is that you have the Lord God sending the Lord God and the Spirit that's there. What have we got? God who sent God. That's the Father sending the Son. And then we've got the Spirit. That's Old Testament. There it is. Now, some would say, no, can't possibly mean that because the Jews didn't recognize that. And it's certainly true that the Jews did not recognize the idea of Father, Son, and Spirit. At least, as I have studied it, I don't think that they did. But just because they didn't understand it doesn't mean it's not there. They didn't understand that the kingdom that was to come was spiritual. Yet, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 and 45 clearly teaches that the kingdom of God is going to be a spiritual kingdom. They didn't understand that the Messiah was going to come in and suffer. But Isaiah 53 clearly points out that the servant of God who's going to come in and bring forgiveness of sins for all and establish His kingdom is going to suffer and die. They didn't understand that Gentiles would be blessed. But how often in the Old Testament does it talk about all the nations being blessed? I mean, that was the promise to Abraham. All nations will be blessed in you. Prophecies like Amos chapter 9, beginning of verse 11, talk about the nations that will come into... This this root of David that's going to be coming. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. That doesn't mean it wasn't in there. They just didn't see it. And here's another passage. It's there. They just didn't see it. The Lord God sent the Lord God. Father sent the Son and the Spirit. There it is. And so we ask the question, then how is it one? I mean, if there's Father, Son, and Spirit, and there's three, why is it? Because obviously the Scripture says repeatedly, God is one. So how is that? I'm going to tell you that what I believe, what I believe is that that issue, especially under the Old Testament, was demonstrating a contrast between Jehovah, Father, Son, and Spirit, and the foreign false gods. You see, under paganism, deity could mean a whole lot of things. You take a look at the mythologies, and deity just, just meant a whole host of things. I mean, the king became God. And they were fickle, and there were multiple gods who all were gods over different things. Gods and goddesses. Their natures were different. And what is being demonstrated is you have Father, Son, and Spirit. And their Godhead or their Godhood is exactly the same. It's, it's one. And they're united in purpose, in work, in nature, in essence. There's no fickleness there. There's no dis- difference between them. They are one. And I'll tell you why I believe that. We take a look at the passages. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 is the probably the most important and impressive passage that talks about the oneness of God. There... In Deuteronomy 16, verse 4, the Lord is our God. Now, interestingly, I just put this word up here because remember Genesis 1.1, I pointed out Elohim. That's plural. And, and that's not plural because of our God. That's that the word God is plural here. Jehovah is Elohim. The Lord Jehovah is one. Jehovah is Elohim, Jehovah is a God. That's you just got to think about what an amazing statement that is if we knew the Hebrew and saw the plural and then the singular. Jehovah is Elohim. Jehovah is God's. Jehovah is one. That's just pretty powerful. So how how can it say that? Well, interestingly, I recognize that this word Ikad, this word Ikad is used in numerous places to mean one in number. But it's also used in passages like Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. For this, man, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. A husband and wife become one. But we're still two, aren't we? What's it referring to? It's not saying we become one person. It's saying that the husband and wife become united. Unity. Now, certainly... Certainly, when it comes to husbands and wives, we don't pull that off as well as God does. Our unity, we have to work on it. By nature, divinity is united. Father, Son, and Spirit are united. But that's what we find, actually, in the Old Testament. The word describing one doesn't always mean just number. It means unity. That's not the only place we find it. We also find it in the New Testament. For instance, in James 2, and verse 19, you'll remember that's where James is talking about having faith. He says, you believe that God is one. There's the Greek word, use heis. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe in shudder. You remember that passage? That's, what, that's where this comes from. God is one. We find that word used there. But let's notice some other places where we find that word used. And just like the word in the Old Testament, sometimes it's used to mean number. But look at some of these passages. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 8, it's talking about Paul and Apollos. Remember Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered. But here in 1 Corinthians 8 he says, Now, he who plants and he who waters are, plural number, one. Paul said that he and Apollos were one, but we know those were two distinct persons. What was his point? He said we're united. We're, we're focusing on the same goal. We're all a part of the same work. He says, here we're two. He who plants and he who waters, they're one. We also find, by the way, just like in, in the Old Testament, we find the passage... Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus refers back to that passage in the Old Testament, the two become one flesh, he uses that word highest there, it's the irregular feminine, though a little bit different, but the same root word. But then here's the one that impresses me the most, John 17 and verse 21. Jesus says He's praying there, talks about the believers. He said, I'm not just praying for these alone, I'm not just praying for these apostles that are here, but I'm praying for all who will believe in their word." Guess who that is? That's us. We're believing through the Word of the Apostles. He said, I'm praying for all of them. What am I praying for them? That they may all be one. Now, this is just what amazes me. Then he turns around and defines the oneness. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. He says, Father, I want them to be one just like you and I are one. Now that's amazing. Because you and I will not ever be one person. When we become Christians, we don't all become one person. We're still distinct persons. But what Jesus wants for us is to be one. Just like He and the Father and the Spirit are one. That we might be one with one another and we might be one in The Father, Son, and the Spirit. Jesus there defines their oneness. And I know, of course, that there are a lot of folks that they see this and they hear this and they say, well, that's polytheism and we can't believe that. And I can't answer all the questions, but here's what I see in Scripture Father, Son, and Spirit are all divine. But the Father is not the Son, and the Father is not the Spirit. The Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father and the Spirit is not the Son. But they're all one just as we are supposed to be one. Just as husbands and wives are supposed to be one. Just as He who planted and He who watered was one. United in nature, in purpose, in work, in focus, in plan, and in deity. And that's what the Scripture presents. Again, I am not nearly so naive as I believe that I have answered every possible question. In fact, I may have just caused more questions. And questions that I'm not sure we can answer because the fact is, when it comes to deity and divinity, there's infinity. And we're finite. All we can say is, here's what the Scripture presents. Now, the Scripture, if it's wrong, we just need to throw it out. But if we believe the Scripture is right, then all we can say is just what it says. And that's what it says. But the real important part about this lesson is that last thing we learned in John 17, verse 20 and 21. Jesus, God the Son, who is one with the Father and one with the Spirit, prayed that folks would believe through the word of His apostles and that we would all be one in Him. So the question for you tonight is not, do we understand everything about God and the Godhead, about Father, Son, and Spirit. The real question is, are we one in Christ? Are you in Christ? That's the really important point for us. And I imagine that for all our lives, we'll study deity, and we'll ask and answer questions, and study and change the answers to our questions as we learn more from the Scripture. But the question that is of utmost importance is, whatever the absolute truth is about the Father, Son, and the Spirit, are we in them? Because we're supposed to be one in them. I hope this lesson in answer to the question, Is God three or One? was beneficial. As I mentioned in the lesson, I know I didn't answer every question that could possibly come up, but we do see what the Bible clearly teaches about God, or Godhood, or the Godhead. We recognize the Bible clearly demonstrates that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all divine. That is, they are all God. We also recognize that the Bible demonstrates that the Father is not the Spirit or the Son. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son or the Father. Therefore, we have three, Father, Son, and Spirit, that are equally divine and can be called God. How then are they one? They're one in the same way that a husband and wife are one. In the same way that he who planted and he who waters is one. In the same way that all Christians are to be one. They are united. Father, Son, and Spirit are united in nature, in purpose, in work, in mind, and in plan. What an amazing unity and what an amazing contrast with the paganism that has taken our world for so many years. I hope this answer was helpful to you. If you have any questions about the Father, the Son, or the Spirit, about deity, about how to serve God, please give us a call at 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. If somebody gave you this lesson, let me invite you to come to our website. You're free to download the numerous lessons we have there in audio and outline format and use them in any way that you believe will most glorify God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him, but more importantly, may you richly bless God.